Hello and welcome to KLO Talks, a podcast for financial discussion. This is where we discuss the latest financial trends, news and events and aim to unravel the complicated world of investing and finance. So whether you're passionate about the sector or just want to understand more about the importance of optimising your finances, KLO Talks has something for everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to KLO Talks. This is a podcast for financial discussion. This is our first episode. And as this introductory episode kicks off this podcast series, I wanted to take the opportunity to introduce a member of the team in KLO in Birmingham. Um, his name is Terry Michael. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Peter. Glad to be here. So you and I have worked together, and this is the first yes. podcast for KLO, which I'm quite happy and proud to kind of just chair and have this conversation with you. But most people would have seen you on the Insights uh, magazine, looking like a Hollywood star. Um, so I thought it would be worthwhile having a conversation with you around the questions that were in the, in the Insights magazine so that people can get a feel for you, your personality, and hear your voice, really. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, thanks for that. Yes, I've got an embarrassing picture on Insights, I think. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, yeah, I'd be uh, glad to glad to talk through some of that uh, article. Well, first things first, um, how did you get started in financial services? Because I know we worked together for an investment house, so you're an investment manager there, you're now a financial planner, but your background is quite unorthodox. So just talk me through that. Yes, I think you've summarized that up uh, quite well. <laughs> um, so a lot of people are quite surprised to... Um, when they ask that a similar question, how did you get into it? Um, I say, well, I have a medical science degree. And they say, well, what is the first mm-hmm. thing they say? I say, well, yeah. medical science, that isn't the natural route to uh, finances, is it? Um, but what is the natural route to finances? You don't talk about it at school. You don't, nobody says, oh, you're going to have a job in finances. It's That's true, yeah. Lawyer, doctor, maybe an accountant, you know, yeah. something engineer. like that. Engineer, yeah. Engineer, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I started off a medical science degree here at the uh, University of Birmingham. And um, I ended up doing DNA analysis uh, in London for a year uh, after I graduated. Um, and the plan was to work in labs and do some medical research work. Uh, but uh, I lived in London. I had to move from Birmingham, live in London. It was a big, it was a big ask. Um, you know, but you take these opportunities. Yeah. The problem that I quickly found um, was that London's very expensive. I don't know. I don't know if you knew that, Peter. <laughs> oh no, I, I know. I lived there for a number of years. It's very, very expensive, especially yeah. the rent. The rents are crazy. Exactly, and um, you know, just graduated, and this was the first time that you know I'm looking at rents and council tax and all sorts. Of mm-hmm. And I didn't realise how expensive London was. I knew it was expensive, but I didn't know to what extent. And it's very expensive. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. Yeah. So um, medical science uh, degree, work in DNA analysis, um, and the salary wasn't great. Uh, the salary in that industry, in that sector, isn't fantastic in the UK. I don't know what it is globally, but in the UK, it's not great. And I remember being on £16,000 salary um, in 2007 to eight. Um, yeah, that's, that's not a lot in London. Not a lot. That's not a lot at all. No, and lots of overtime and uh, being on call. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was struggling money-wise. And 
I started to think, well, what am I going to do? I've got to, I've got to eat. I've got to mm-hmm. earn enough money to eat. So I started looking at stocks and shares, but I didn't realize that I already knew, I was already familiar with the concept of stocks and shares and how it worked because my dad would always look at them and he was mm-hmm. not he was not involved in finances. Uh, the family business was a fish and chip shop, but uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he was always reading the paper back to front or every day and looking at all these things. And he would always have Bloomberg on in the background and, you know, looking at what's happening in investment markets. So I, I suppose I digested some of that information uh, as the years went by. So I started looking at stocks and shares and I thought, okay, I will try and trade or try and invest. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember the, the 2007, 2008. Wasn't Crash, yeah. It wasn't the best time, was it? No, it so, wasn't, no. <laughs> but that's, you know, you're naive uh, at that age. You know, you think you can do things and you try things. Um, and I did it with, the, with small amounts of money. Obviously, I didn't have a lot of money, so it was small amounts of money. But I quickly found that I was very interested in it. And so I would finish work and I'd be straight away looking at stocks and shares and reading around what's happened in the day and trading. And I did make a little bit of money. Um, was, I did quite well. Uh, nothing that would change my life, but... I started to enjoy it and I started to enjoy the research because um, it was ever changing and every day was different. Um, and I just thought, hang on a minute, I'm sure there's an industry that people do this for a living. For a living, yeah. Maybe I could do it. But then the doubt sets in and you think, well, I've got a medical science degree. How does that work? Um, so what do you do? You, you know, I went and asked somebody that um, was in the industry. So I asked a friend. Uh, who I thought he knows about finances and he pointed me in the direction of somebody at an investment house in Birmingham. Um, and I emailed him and said, could we meet, have a chat? And so the next time I was in Birmingham, we did. And I said, well, is there a way that I could get into finance? Um, and he was an investment manager. So right, okay. he was talking to me about that. And he said, yes, of course. I said, but I've got a medical science degree. He said, yeah, so... He said, we've got people working for us who are investment managers and they've got a history degree. And I said, wow, okay. I didn't realize that, you know, you could, there were options. Um, he said to me, there's an exam that you could do in your own time, your spare time, and that would help and you could learn a bit more. I said, yeah, okay. Pointed me in the right direction. And uh, I went away, did the exam uh, in my own time. Um, and I learned a lot. And um, after the year was up in London, I moved back to Birmingham um, and I asked for work experience with the same person at the same okay. firm. And he said, yes, I can offer you two weeks. I said, okay, great. So I went in for two weeks, did the work experience. And then he then said to me, well, that's that. And I said, well, I can do it. I can do another two weeks if it helps you. And he said, Really, you want to do another two weeks work experience? You know, I can't pay you. And I said, Yeah, but that's fine. I've got no experience. I said, This is great for me. Um, he said, Yeah, please. That'd be fantastic. So this ended up carrying on. And I remember speaking to my brother in law, and he said to me, Just keep saying at the end of two weeks that you want to stay. <laughs> I want to stay. He said, yeah. Because when they start hiring, because they couldn't hire at the time because it was the crash. And yeah. I remember, I think it was Morgan Stanley that owned the firm at that point and had a call from the US head, no more hiring mm-hmm. until further notice, done, frozen. So, yeah, my brother-in-law said to me, stay there. When they hire, you'll be there already. 
but so you'll have an in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So I stayed there, work experience, for six months. Wow, okay. Um, and I was working in my parents' fish and chip shop at night to earn my key. Mm-hmm. And I was working in the day as a, well, I don't know what I was. It was a, tr- wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't even a tr- investment manager. <laughs> no, a runner not. almost. Yeah, a runner. It was, um, but it was really good. I learned a lot and I realized that how much work goes into making a decision on investments. And it was really enjoyable. And lo and behold, um, when Morgan Stanley lifted the uh, freeze on hiring again, um, they offered me a job. And I jumped at the chance, of course. And it was fantastic. It was really good. They put me through my exams. They put me through the the masters that you need to get. uh, Well, uh, masters in wealth management. Um, While I was working, they, you know, they funded it all, and they were really good. And it was a great office. Uh, I learned so much. And before I knew it, it was three, four years down the line. I looked back and thought, "Wow, I was DNA analyst four years ago." This, yeah. this is crazy. I never thought this would happen. You know, yeah. And an idea that popped into my head. Um, but I, I soon realized that, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is, I like this. I do enjoy it. Um, so, yeah. So, as you said, it's not, uh, it wasn't exactly the orthodox route. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So, now you're financial planner. Um, yes. At Kerlo. Um, I know that you're very well connected locally in Birmingham. And when you put the word out that you were going to do be a financial planner or financial advisor, I'm sure you would have had a number of people be like, Terry, like you've what? got a place here today. <laughs> so just come along. So why, why did you choose Kerlo? Um, well, yeah, first of all, people were surprised that I was changing to be a financial planner as opposed to an investment manager that I've been mm-hmm. for 10 years or so. Um, and I moved into financial planning because I just thought that, there's more value to clients uh, that you can offer as a financial planner. Um, there are many reasons why I chose KLO. I mean, I've known the directors since they started up uh, around five years ago. Um, the two directors at the time, very, very good at what they do. You know, both financial planners through their careers, uh, knowledgeable. And do you know what? Just really nice, genuine people. Mm. Um, and they really care about their clients. I mean, their friends, you know, they'll call them all the time. They'll go and visit them and they, it's part of their life. And I really liked that kind of family orientated office. Um, I liked their culture. Uh, We talk about a lot of things, you know, you go to a new firm, they talk about culture, this culture, that. Um, But with KLO, I actually saw that their culture was being practiced. Mm -hmm. And, And it was just, every client was, was very complimentary about them. And I thought they must be doing a good job. They really care. Uh, And the other facts that they're independent, so they're whole of market, which means they're not tied to any investment solutions. They can go out and get the best solution for the client. Um, It really appealed to me. So um, yeah, that's why KLO. Yeah, I know. There's a word of saying that you try to keep good people around you. And I think you're right when it comes to culture. A lot of companies and firms will talk about culture, but culture should be seen, felt, and heard. Um, and often it's heard, but it's never seen and it's never felt. And, you know, yeah. that that is a tough one to basically come by. So with the ever-changing political 
climate that we're facing right now and financial climate with COVID-19 and the lockdown and all that kind of stuff. Um, what do you feel is the most important factor for advisors and firms in staying ahead of the game? Yeah, um, there's lots there. You know, we've had a crazy year, uh, COVID-19 and whatnot. I mean, technology has to be something that firms adopt um, sooner rather than later. Uh, it just makes things more efficient. Yeah. Keeps, uh, and, you know, and efficiency means that costs are lowered, uh, which can be translated to clients as well, um, which is you know, if the client paying less, fantastic. Um, technology is a key one. Um, I guess particularly now with the fact that, you know, we've been in lockdown for almost three months. You know, yeah. technology is really, really important. I mean, we're recording this on Zoom. So that yeah. face-to-face element that you would normally do as a financial advisor, you, you haven't been able to do that for the last three months. So technology like Zoom and, and things like that are very important. Yeah, and, you know, clients want to see you. They want to see that you're a real person, that you actually exist. So, you know, doing the video calls with clients, um, you know, and being able to sign documents electronically, it just mm. makes everything easier for clients. And, and they're enjoying it. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll turn around and say, oh, I, don't, I can't get my head around technology. But yeah. you sit down with them, you say, right, well, let's, we'll do a bit of an educational, uh, educational seminar, a webinar, if you mm-hmm. will, on the technology. And they pick it up straight away. And they go, yeah. I didn't realize it was so easy. And that's what technology can do for businesses and especially for financial planning firms. Um, if you can contact your clients in a time like this uh, using technology, then you know it's, it's added service to your clients. You, you need to be in front of them, yeah. especially now. Yeah. I mean, I guess with, with everything that's going on at the moment, Brexit is kind of falling off the bandwagon and the topic <laughs> we've forgotten even there it's it's, it's there <laughs> we'll probably pick it up later at the back end of this year or so but there's been a lot that's been going on you know mm. when it comes to the economy covid brexit i'm interested to know your experience so far interacting with clients obviously with your investment manager background now a financial planner mm. do you find that that gives you uh, an advantage i said i would say uh, yes, uh, yes is the short answer, and um, and the, the reasons why are that um, with financial planning, you're structuring the finances, uh, and it's you can add a lot of value. Uh, once you've structured things, then it comes to the investments. Um, now, working as an investment manager for so many years, I can I provide my clients with details of what they're invested in. Um, I have the knowledge and know-how from all these years that I can actually explain to clients, this is why we've made these certain changes. This is what we're expecting. And I'd like to think that the 10 years that I spent as an investment manager does give me an edge on other financial advisors that haven't mm-hmm. been an investment manager for 10 yeah. years. I would, like, I would like to think that those years weren't wasted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, I really do think it's... Um, I do it helps me with my clients uh, and the clients appreciate it as well because they can ask me many technical questions about investments and what's going on in the global economy. And because of my years in investment management, I'm able to, to explain things uh, and the reasons why things are happening in the investment markets. Yeah. And talking of client experience, because I think that's really important. I think 
for most advisors and most firms, that's probably the most important factor, having a positive client experience with positive client outcomes. What are the factors that you think differentiate you from other IFAs, aside from just being, you know, in a background in investment management and, and, and being an investment manager in the past? Um, well, the years that has been an investment manager obviously really does help. Um, but I've been client facing for so many years in the investment management world um, and dealing with some very sophisticated clients mm. as well. So it's helped me because dealing with those sophisticated uh, and savvy uh, clients, uh, it's helped me to be able to, in, to explain things to clients, I think, better um, regarding the investment world. Um, because I've been grilled by so many clients over the years. <laughs> I've lived through the, you know, I was working during the, the crisis that we've had and some yeah. times during the um, previous years. Um, I've, I've built up that almost like an educational um, mm-hmm. skill that mm-hmm. I can provide clients. Um, so not only am I giving them answers, this is why this is why. I'm explaining to them, I'm trying to educate them. So when they see things, they can spot it as well. They can see what's happening. They can understand what's happening in China. They can understand what's happening in the US. Um, So I think I've got a bit of an educational edge on Mm -hmm. other advisors when it comes to the investment world. Is it something that the the clients have kind of noticed or appreciate, do you think? Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Not all clients, of course, you know, you know, um, You know, some clients look for different things, but um, definitely the clients that have had difficulty in um, trying to digest what's happening, especially in times like Brexit and and now with COVID nineteen. So, a lot of clients uh, were panicking in February, yeah, um, and were calling me up and saying, "Right, I want to sell down my investments to cash." And we're saying, well, why? Let's talk about this a little bit. Let's just let's just discuss. Let's see why why you're thinking this. Oh, the economy is going to get worse. Um, things are going to get things are going to be worse in 2008. And then that's where the educational uh, conversation happens, where you sit there and say, well, let's have a look at 2008. What was that? That was a banking crisis. Um, banks were running out of money. Liquidity was was not there. It wasn't available. Uh, and then central banks came in and saved the world. Um, and they really did. Uh, we wouldn't have a financial system if they hadn't have uh, stepped in. Yeah, very true. And, and, then we look at, um, and then we look at now, what's happened now. Well, actually, central banks were much quicker to come in this time. And it wasn't a liquidity crisis. It wasn't a banking crisis. So the banks do have money. They have more money than they did in 2008. They're very well structured. Uh, obviously, you know, not all of the banks, but a lot of them have mm-hmm. you know, really, really stepped up their, they've had to, they've stepped, yeah. stepped up since 2008 because of regulations. Um, and then government stepped in and said, right, we're going to put some funding here, we're going to put stimulus in place so people don't lose their jobs. And and so you, you look at it and you explain it to clients and you sit there and say, well, actually, yes, things look bad, but financially we are coping and we will survive. And central banks have acted much quicker this time um, to, to the potential crisis. And we've seen that. So, you know, clients that panicked in February, you know, I suggested, no, don't sell down to cash. And none of my clients did. And I've had many phone calls uh, recently saying, thank you very much for t- advising me not to sell because yeah. we had April, we had the, 
April was the best month since 2008 uh, mm. um, in markets. Um, and actually talking to most clients, um, hosting these reviews with clients during this period, most clients uh, actually haven't lost any money year to date. And they yeah. can Markets are still down, the FTSE 100 is still down probably 16% year to date. Um, and they can't believe that their portfolios haven't lost any money. Yeah. Because they, they, they stayed with it, they held their investments during this, this volatile time. Um, you know, and, that, and you hear it all the time, don't you? The ones that know, uh, they, always, they always seem to make money in a crisis yeah. or lose. They don't panic. They've seen it before. They know yeah. what's going on. Um, people looking at the press, looking at all the media, they look at the headlines and go, right, this is terrible. Right, that's it. We've got to get out now. And they end up losing. Yeah. Um, markets rise. They've sold down their portfolios. They've missed the rally in investments. And lo and behold, yes, they've lost 30%. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's the beauty of what an advisor basically does because it's that natural fight or flight. And whilst it's it's always there because there's that emotional attachment to money, I've worked for so long, for so many years for this, I can't afford yeah. for it to to drop. It's that calming conversation and having that educational talk to say, look, we've been here before. We probably we stress tested your portfolio so we know that it, it will be fine within these yeah. tolerances and it's having that conversation. That's one of the things that is really, really key in terms of value that advisors deliver. Yes, no, you're exactly right. And it does come back to, right, why did we set these investments up in the first place? Uh, what was the risk involved with this? Uh, we measured your risk um, and, and we did say that these portfolios could go down by this much and we stress tested it, as you said, and you will still get to your objective over those number of years. Um, and it's just having that calming conversation saying, remember why we did this. Remember yeah. the, pl the plan, the structure is correct. Yeah. And we will get through this. Yeah. Uh, just be patient. Yeah. Um, but yeah, patience, that's the, uh, the, aim, the skill of life, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Indeed, it, well, that's why they call it a virtue. <laughs> yeah. Not easy to, uh, to abide sometimes. No. So, yeah. So given everything that goes on, current um, circumstances in the industry, news, trends, how do you keep up with industry developments? You read. <laughs> you Lots read. of reading. You read, and then you read some more. Uh -huh. And when you think you've done enough, you read again. <laughs> um, because it's always changing. It's always changing. Um, and there's, there's lots of information out there. And there's lots and lots and lots. Uh, when I first started as an investment manager, I remember reading the Financial Times and thinking, wow, I thought that I could read in English. Um, <laughs> but this is a completely different language. And yeah. I soon realized that it is a different language. And this is why so many people you know, are scared of money and they don't want to talk about money because it, it is a different language to so many yeah. And when you're dealing with these investments and you know, you're advising clients, you need to know your stuff. And it was a completely different language. And it took, I kid you not, from reading every day the Financial Times, and it took about three years where I just suddenly, I remember the feeling of, I, I get this. Mm -hmm. oh, look at this. I'm understanding all of this. Yeah. Years. You know, and you sit there and you think, am I ever going to get this? Am I ever going to understand it? Um, You've got to wait for that moment for it to, to, to click, it don't you? Just click. And you think, okay, great, I've got it. And you realize it because... 
there's so much information out there and you don't know what to read. So there's a lot of well, rubbish out there. Mm-hmm. Papers misinformation. Misinformation. You know, we've heard about all the fake news and things like that. And you know, papers they have to release a paper every day. You know, they will need a story every day. Does it matter if they're stretching the truth a little bit to most to most firms that you know involved in media? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So you have to read and read and read and read, and then you suddenly start to filter out the rubbish. You can look at headlines and then suddenly say, "No, that's I know what that's about. That's rubbish. That's no, no." And then you start knowing which sources are reliable, mm-hmm. and you only start to find that out. If you read a lot, and you have to filter out a lot of rubbish over yeah. the years to start to say, right, this is uh, this is what I should be reading, and then you find that you've got more time on your hands because you're not reading so much rubbish, and you know you can get straight to the good source. And nobody can tell you this is the source, this is the good source, um, because it, the sources are always changing, and there's new ones coming out, and yeah. you have to keep reading. So you make sure that you keep up with the relevant sources. Perfect. And what would you say is your key motivator for success? What motivates you? Um, <clears throat> helping clients. I really, I know it's a ooh, cliche, you know, a bit of a, um, but when you when you sit in front of clients and they're a bit panicky about their investments, and maybe it's the first time they've spoken to a financial advisor, and there's a few myths that they've heard and, you know, some horror stories and they're very nervous. Um, most clients and especially in this country, we, we don't talk about money. So it's a big step. Um, you know, I'd compare it to somebody going and seeing a a psychologist for the first time, you know, it's a a big, (laughs) you know, they've taken that step, you know, they're scared to do it, but they've taken that step. Um, and, you see the change once you put the once you put the investment uh, solution in place. You put the structure around their investments. You put a plan together, and they see after six months that okay, yeah, this is exactly what he said would be happening, and this is why we've done it. And okay, we have a review meeting. That first review meeting, uh, when clients sit back and go, and they're all relaxed. Mm-hmm. That change from that nervousness to completely relaxed about their finances, it, it's fantastic. You know, yeah. you, you're helping uh, an individual, a family, um, so they can live their life better with yeah. less stress. You know, yeah. that's the that's the point of it. Yeah, I can I can I can relate to that because I remember you know seeing clients myself, and you you instantly walk in and you can you can see and you can sense the skepticism. Yeah, you can just sense that they're on guard because they're like, well, I've heard stories about financial advisors, and as you as you continue to interact with them, you kind of chip away at that skepticism and they do relax and they do warm to you. And then you kind of realize you get to a point where you know, okay, I've, I've chipped my way through here. And that then gives you confidence. And I would always say that, you know, even as an advisor, you know, that one thing that I do miss is the fact that it's very rewarding when you do a really good piece of work for, for a client. It's yeah. really, really rewarding. Um, and that's probably one thing that I do actually miss from, from advising myself. Yeah, it is. You're right, Peter. It is a really good feeling. And the best compliment you can get from a client is when they turn around and say, you've done a fantastic job for us. Um, I've got a friend or I've got a family member that could use you. Can I introduce you to them? Yeah. 
wow, you know, they, they trust you enough to say, to introduce you to someone who's close, close to them. Uh, that's the biggest compliment. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a good feeling. Uh, uh, selfishly, I do it to feel good. <laughs> <laughs> and do a good job for the client. Well, it, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's a kind of like, it's a win-win, isn't it? Yeah. By you feeling good, you've got to do something good for the client. So it's a win-win in that regard because, well, you both have to be happy. Your client's yeah. happy, you refer a friend over, you're happy. You do a good job, you're happy. It's a win-win all around. You know, I would hate my life if I saw every client and they were unhappy with me. I mean, uh, <laughs> where's the joy in that? You, know, you want to do a good job. You want to see people happy and you want yeah. to see them relaxed, especially in a world where stress levels are just increasing all the time. Uh, and most stress is caused by money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I always say is that, you know, we don't speak about money enough as it as it is, period. Yeah. We don't. So naturally, when people kind of have money to invest, they are going to be worried. And especially if there's an underlying reason why they're worried, either they've, you know, they've invested in, you know, they, they need the money for something and they're panicking or they need to help the grandchildren out or whatever that might actually be. The, the stress that you get from money is very, very different to other stresses that you have because the financial worries can lead to mental, like, anxiety, depression, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it's, a, it's felt a little bit, it's a felt more acutely than any other area of life when it comes to money and worries. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Um, yeah, you, you know, we want to be mentally free. I think when people talk about freedom, you know, it's a physical thing as well, but being mentally free is, uh, is so important. And yeah. I think we're doing very well in this country. Uh, again, we are you know we're ahead of the game i think with mental awareness and things like that um and and yeah money is a big is a big factor that yeah. plays into this so penultimate question for you and these are i like these questions but uh let's yeah. see how this goes i'm a bit concerned but <laughs> <laughs> what one piece of financial advice would you think everyone should know yeah um yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Peter. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, um, okay, so people don't think of this as a financial tool, really, but it is um, a will. People should get a will. You know, um, it's not just for people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. You should get a will. I mean, most people, you know, you get on the housing ladder, um, you buy your house, okay, great. You get some life insurance to cover it to cover the, the mortgage in the event of death. Um, what about protecting your family uh, and making their life easier if you were to die? Uh, difficult time, very difficult time already. Get a will in place. It really makes things simpler and you'll be surprised how many people don't have a will. Um, and it's one of the things that we ask uh, clients at every review meeting. Um, you know, we have certain questions that we must ask and one of them is, do you have a will? Okay, yes, no. Is it up to date? Um, you've had some changes in your life or you divorced recently. Have you updated your will? Um, you know, you've had a grandchild recently. Uh, are they part of your will? Do you need it updated? And that's why we say to clients, you know, talk to, have a, have a solicitor, have a law firm that, you're, that you constantly work with. You know, it's not a, a weekly thing, but every three years, just make sure your will is up to date. And I know people don't like paying fees and things like that, but this is such an important document. Um, it's so it is. I think ultimately people may be unaware of how messy it can get if you do die intestate, which is the term. 
and it can get really, really messy and very, very complicated because what well, you want to happen might not actually happen. Well, you, you're right there, Peter, because uh, the myth in this country is that if you're married, that all of your all of your estate, your your wealth, will just pass on automatically to your spouse. Problem solved. Mm. I don't need a will. It's mm. not the case. And I don't know where this myth has come from, uh, but so many people say, well, I'm married, it'll just pass. No, it doesn't happen like that. Um, I believe it's the first 250,000 of your wealth in your name will go to your spouse. Mm. And then the remainder will be split 50-50 between your spouse and any children that you have. Mm -hmm. um, and, you and you sit there and think, oh, well, that's okay. So it stays in the family. But what about if your children are minors? Um, yeah you have to set up a, maybe a trust um you can't do anything with that money uh you have to you have to have permission and, and set the trusts up and it gets you can already tell it gets very messy yeah. um and a simple will this will go to my spouse okay done and you just get get a lawyer to do it because they know what they're doing that's what they're trained to do yeah um they do this day in day out and they can tell you what you need um, that's what you're paying them for. And the last one for you is what advice would you give your younger self? Two bits of advice. Okay. Two bits of advice there. Um, I would say, I would have said save money. Mm -hmm. Even when I was earning the 16,000 pounds in London as DNA analyst, <laughs> put 10 pounds a month away. Put, just put something. it away. Something. Get into yeah. the habit of saving compound interest you know compounding your profits uh compounding your money over a number of years is hugely important and so powerful um i think in the article in insights i put that einstein said it was the it's the most powerful force in the in the yeah. universe yeah interest um and it really is so if you start early even if it's a small amount just save 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 put it away put it away you'll be surprised how much you can build up uh, so that's what I'd say to myself. And then the other thing would be surround yourself with good people. Mm. Surround yourself with good people. That, you know, it's, it's the, to anybody who is of any age, actually, but to the, to the young listeners especially, um, don't go into a toxic uh, area, you know, of toxic people. Don't surround yourself with people that don't want you to succeed. Yeah. Um, because more often than not, you won't succeed and if you do succeed you will have succeeded because of uh i don't know revenge or you know something like that <laughs> yeah it's not yeah. healthy if you're surrounded by people that want you to succeed then you will you will succeed yeah. you definitely will and you will enjoy doing it in the process um surrounding yourself with good people and just stay away from people that don't want you want you to succeed because um, you won't be happy yeah. and you don't chase the money. The yeah. money will come. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who has a beautiful analogy for, you know, surrounding yourself with good people. She goes, life is full of radiators and drain pipes. Um, it goes, radiators are your friends that add positivity. They spur you on. They want to drive you forward. They want to see you succeed. And then the drain pipes are the ones who just suck the life out of any situation. They're negative. They don't want to see you succeed. And they're just generally just a bad influence. He goes, you know, you need radiators, not drain pipes. I like that. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I may steal that. Yeah. yeah. I always use it because she said it once and, and it just, it, it stays, it stayed with me ever since. And this is probably 
15 years ago when we first met and she used that analogy and I was like actually you know what you've got a really good point there and yeah it just explains it explains it perfectly yeah no can't disagree with that that's so true so how do people get hold of you if they wanted to have a conversation with you around their finances so on and so forth yeah I mean um again going back to the uh being uh, scared to have that first meeting uh discussions are absolutely free uh, even the reports that we put together are free of charge so don't be scared to have a conversation uh don't be scared to um talk about your finances the sooner you do you may be happier uh sooner than later so contact me on uh linkedin terry michael or my email address at klo is terry.michael at klo financial services.com um, and give so actually i'm going to throw one more in terry okay. given what where we are right now and what's going on right now is there anything that you would say is worthwhile for clients to pay attention to when it comes to their investments right now in terms of should they be looking to review their things what would you say is really important for people to know yeah so um just have a review of your investments your underlying investments you know everybody has a portfolio and i say everybody has a portfolio of investments because everybody has a pension most people have a pension these days with auto enrollment um have that reviewed have a look is are they actually good investments or are you just riding the whole market because if you have these investments that are just indexed to the whole investment market your portfolios are down 16 percent, 20 percent year to date and they really they are better solutions i mean you know they really are um have them reviewed have them reviewed we can do that for you we can have a conversation uh, if they're good, we'll tell you they're good. If they're not, we'll tell you the reasons why. Perfect. Okay, that's great. Thanks for the conversation, Terry. I really do appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of KLO Talks, the podcast for financial discussion. I hope you found this episode interesting and at least it's, it's given you an insight into Terry, his mindset, how he works, the kind of person he is. If you are in a position where you are looking at your investments right now, looking at the markets and you would like to speak to a professional, feel free to reach out to Terry and book your complimentary consultation. There are links in the show notes to get you there. Until the next show, take care.